Welcome to the Decades of Strength podcast. We are Kim, Marcy, and Katie. We are three women on one mission. We are obsessed with empowering women to gain confidence, build strength, and ditch feelings of unworthiness. So grab your chair, come sit at our table, and let's talk. Hello, and welcome to the Decades of Strength podcast. I'm Kim Schlag, and with me are Marcy and Katie. Hi, ladies. Hey, Kim. Hi, ladies. Good morning, everyone. What's going on? Just another beautiful day over here in Northern California. Oh, come on. Marcy. (laughs) I didn't mean to say anything. (laughs) I was wearing a winter coat again this morning. You've triggered us, Marcy. (laughs) I'm sorry. Well, I mean, for what it's worth, I am wearing my very warm, uh, fuzzy pullover or whatever you want to call this thing. Sherpa. I don't begrudge you your good weather. No, I I had to. I'm sorry. I was not trying to like rub anything in. I probably. We both the, the weather right now has been like, the, highlight like of, the, the weather the weather has been like the highlight of my life just because things have not been going great. So well then I'm glad you have the good weather. Thank you. Despite the 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 chill in the air in Wisconsin, I feel like a new person. Ladies, when I sat and talked to you a week ago today, it was the day before I tested positive for COVID. And I was over here saying, you know, oh, it's just a cold. It's fine. It's no big deal. And a lot happened in seven days. Like more happened in seven days than I think has happened in the last seven months of my life. And <laughs> it, it's, it's, it's wild when things work that way. And, you know, I had the plantar fasciitis that I was fighting. I had COVID. Um, I had not gotten my cycle back that day. And literally the next day after more than four years, I, my, my cycle returned for the first time. Wow. My plantar fasciitis began to clear up. And when I say clear up, I mean, I'm not currently in any kind of pain. Wow. Um, yeah. And I, I mean, the, and, and COVID sort of came and went in the blink of an eye. So I don't know what, like if the planets were aligned, like I have no idea what happened, but for whatever reason, like something just moved through me last week and, and I feel like a new person. It's crazy. Wow. Amazing. That is a lot. That, that's a lot. Big topics there. I, I know, right. That I just kind of gloss all over and I'm still processing all of them. And I sort of hesitate, um, to even share them because I realize that they are, they do have a lot of magnitude in and of themselves. And I want to take some time to really like integrate my thoughts and, and feelings on everything. But at the same time, I'm someone who reports in real time. Like I've always been very transparent with my life and what's going on. And, you know, it's not always easy. And frankly, I was really struggling in the last, I'd say for sure, six or eight weeks up until this past week, kind of thinking like, where are the results I've been working so hard to get for so, so long? Like I've, I've, I've really kept up consistency in terms of the actions that are aligning with the goals I had, which as you ladies know, had nothing to do with fat loss, had nothing to do with aesthetics. And so it was really kind of hard to always trudge on and just feel like I, I wasn't representing, um, you know, the body and the self that I had sort of aligned with up until this point in my life. And, and then all of a sudden, like everything just started to happen and I started to see, and, uh, turns out that like delayed does not equal denied. Ooh, Ooh I like that. I like that. Yeah. That's fantastic. Oh, Katie, that's beautiful. I'm going to have steal, <laughs> steal, not steal it, uh, but give Delayed, you a not equal denied. That's a good one. That popped oh. into my head this morning. So I'm going to have to do some meditating on that thought. Yeah, for sure. Look, I don't have anything that earth shattering to report, except for I finally tied um, Katie Crocus's broccoli 
uh, chicken casserole. So is that what it's called, right? Is it called broccoli chicken casserole? Yeah, I th- it's some version of that. Yeah. <laughs> I have been wanting to try it for many, many months now, but because of all of my restrictions around what I could eat that was making me sick and whatnot, I just couldn't. And since I'm slowly edging my way back into trying more things, I tried it yesterday. It was delicious. It was a hit with my family. I was telling Katie before I semi lied by omission (laughs) because Mm -hmm. I made the casserole when no one was around because I thought people would revolt if they knew that there was, um, cauliflower in it. And so I made the casserole when no one was looking when my daughter was at school because she loves broccoli and she loves cheese and she loves chicken. I'm thinking she's not going to know. Mm-hmm. She like use a blender to like get out of all the, the rice cauliflower makes this as part of this cheesy sauce, right? With like cream cheese and stuff in it. And I mixed it up. You couldn't tell it was there. I hid the bag in the bottom of the trash can. <laughs> not listen to my podcast. I will not talk about this on my stories because I still don't want her to know yet till she's like solid and how much she loves this. Um, and then when she asked at dinner, like, what's in this? Like, she said, I just, I told her what was in there, but I did not tell her about the cauliflower. So I just, and then then we wonder why we have trust issues with our children, with our moms, right? (laughs) Hiding the cauliflower bag. She didn't say to me, is there something in here I didn't like? And she didn't say to me, is there cauliflower? And she said, what's in Mm -hmm. here? So I told her some of the things that were in there. And by the Mm -hmm. way, this is the first time ladies I've ever had rice cauliflower in my life. I've made no, told, told Marcy, Marcy, you and I've had this conversation. You're like, how is that possible? And I just never did it. I just never did it. And so I used it. It was great. It tasted delicious. Um, highly recommend. It, it, it really, is. It really is good. I mm-hmm. mean, I don't know what it is. And certain brands are better than others. We've had this conversation before. Cause I know Katie, you like the target brand. The, is it good and gather? Is that what it is? Yes. I love that brand. I have the Costco. I've, I've, I've looked for it before and I cannot seem to find it. So I love the Trader Joe's. I feel like it's the best one. And my Trader Joe's are like in the Bay area where I am. It was out for probably four months. Mm. And I, I was like, is this ever coming back? And yeah. like, yeah, it, it should be coming back. Cause I know other people were still allowed or able to get it. So it finally came back last week. I was so excited. Um, in a new that, sustainable bag too. Did you notice? Did you guys get oh, the new bags? My bag is not new and sustainable. So I have oh. something to look forward to maybe. Yes, you do. <laughs> um, yeah. But it really, I mean, something about cauliflower rice or really just cauliflower in general, it is a hidden gem because it does blend into things so well and you cannot taste it because cauliflower on its own does kind of have a, a flavor, mm-hmm. you know, but when you mix it in. No, it just helps yeah. with the texture. So it's um, certain- Marcy, what do you think makes when you're like, you like this brand, I like that brand. What makes one brand better than the other? Cause I just literally grabbed whatever they had and I got the green giant brand. Like what makes like a brand the, better? The, the texture and the consistency. So I've had some that are like the pieces are chopped, like they're larger and the Trader Joe's brand is chopped very finely. Okay. So, and then sometimes I've had ones, I think it's the green giant maybe, uh, where it's really icy and mm-hmm. just does not work. It's like, it's fine in a smoothie, but if you're going to be using it for other things, I've just found that it's not, not quite as good. So that's what I used. But I, like I said, I, it, we blended it up with everything else. It was made the sauce and then I baked it. I didn't have a texture issue, but yeah. Yeah. yeah if you're blending it, you won't. It. Yeah. 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 But if you're going to like, you know, microwave it and eat it like I would do because convenience life it's yeah. not as good so yeah I, cauliflower is wonderful because it is it takes it's like an agent for flavor whatever flavor you like so I challenge you to hide it and have someone say I, I taste cauliflower mm-hmm. because I, I I put them in my um, pumpkin oat bars right with uh, like the snickerdoodle protein and it takes on 
the the flavor of the cinnamon and it blends right in with the oats and no one who takes a bite of that bar is going to be like oh somebody snuck cauliflower in here like yeah. it's just impossible which to- is really interesting because cauliflower like it has a very distinct smell yeah. like when you mm-hmm. cook or you like you can smell cauliflower right totally um and i've had cauliflower like mashed cauliflower before that i've really liked but you could like taste that it was cauliflower you could still taste yeah. cauliflower yeah. but when you put it in things like this like with other flavors like yeah like i did not know it was there i'm so glad to hear that thank you yeah so let's hop into our topic here today which has absolutely nothing to do with cauliflower <laughs> at all hope you all enjoyed that t- that conversation <laughs> big that topic change here we're going to talk about alcohol today mm-hmm. we're going to talk about alcohol and um health and fitness so let's start here ladies personally what role does alcohol play or not play in your life katie let's start with you i think i've mentioned this before that growing up and even into my, the first part of my career, it played a huge role in my life. Um, it, it was part of a family business. And so alcohol was always on our dinner table and always part of our celebrations and always part of even my parents' days with or without a celebration. So, um, it was always just on the table, just like salt and pepper were. And I, I took a job with a winery actually right out of college and worked for them for about 10 years. And with that, there was certainly a lot of travel, a lot of education. I worked on premise, which means I worked in restaurants a lot. And so I was doing a lot of presentations and tastings and like whiskey flights at nine in the morning. And so it really, it very much became a job. And I don't know if that sort of led me to this point where I am today, where it has absolutely zero role in my life. I don't need it. I don't want it. I don't miss it. I don't use it for celebrations. I don't use it to wind down. It doesn't serve me in any way. And I, and I have zero judgment about that because it was a huge, it's a, it's a huge part of my life and the reason my family can thrive. Um, so I, I, I think it's, I, I think it's neutral is what I would say. And for me, I, I don't use it. Okay. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Mars. Yeah, I think that the three of us are going to be on the same page here because I do not drink at all. Uh, that has not always been the case. So uh, kind of like Katie was saying, I definitely grew up or in a family that drank, not excessively, like I don't have alcoholism in my family or anything like that, but it was certainly a ritual. So more so on my mom's side of the family than my dad's, which is really interesting because (laughs) now that I'm like putting the pieces together, my mom's side of the family was like the more health conscious. So, um, you know, I wasn't able to eat like white bread or sugary cereal, like that kind of stuff. Like that was my mom's doing. And then when I would go over to my dad's side of the family, like my grandparents' house, I mean, it was all of the junk food, but that side like really did not drink quite as much. However, my mom's, um, like we would go to our beach house every summer and I have vivid memories of like, they would, you know, I don't know what they called it. Like you know, cocktail time or something like that. Like they would like look forward to five o'clock. They were like counting down the minutes until they could have their drink. Um, so yeah, vivid memories of my grandfather having one, my grandma, you know, my parents, all of that. Um, and then to this day, my parents drink, excuse me, quite a lot. Like they're wine connoisseurs for sure. So, you know, my dad probably has like 800 bottles at home and that's just kind of like what they do. And, same thing. It's still the routine. So I go over there and five o'clock, six o'clock, the bottle is opened and 
you know, they're drinking. So uh, for me, you know, my relationship with alcohol started very young when I was 15. Sorry, mom. <laughs> I think mm. she knows this now because <laughs> my, my brother finally busted me like when I was 30 and it's like, oh yeah, I remember that party that Marcy had at the house. <laughs> so, <clears throat> but no, I started drinking young. I, I was dating a guy who was a year older. So when I was 15, he was 16, all of his friends drove and, you know, we were going to parties and um, I remember, yeah, like kegs and things like that. So I started drinking when I was in high school uh, and I was responsible about it. I never got in trouble or anything like that. And then, you know, went to college and I was in a sorority and drinking was a part of my lifestyle then probably, I mean, Thursday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, I was, I remember $2 Long Island's um, mm. at Sixth Street Bar and Grill, man, those were good. So, so yeah, like, I mean, I, I had fun with alcohol for sure. And, but it's interesting because I never really felt the effects when I was younger. So in college, I mean, I can remember the day after my 21st birthday, like I got drunk and I woke up feeling great. And I would be at the gym at like 5.30 in the morning, the night after drinking and not feel the ramifications whatsoever. Wow. Um, and then when I graduated, you know, I was going out a little bit on the weekends, same thing. You know, I was able to go to work the next day. If I drank the night before, was able to work out, I slept fine. Everything was good. Uh, and then I would say 25, it hit me. And I, I went to a party, I had a, some Mike's hard lemonades. And the next day I was on my ass <laughs> my, I had the worst headache. And from then on, like things just changed. And I know for me, like the, the stuff that I know now about my health, um, I have some like genetic mutations, which means I don't detox certain things properly. So alcohol and me definitely do not mix for that reason. And I'm sure that it's one of the things that contributed to my autoimmune disease because it does impact your gut health. And there is a link between autoimmunity and poor gut health. So I'm sure, yes, there was a contributing factor there. And then the more I started to learn about my health issues and the, the role that alcohol played now it's. I, I do not, I shouldn't say like, I don't touch it, but it is not a regular part of my life. I think the last time I drank was on my 37th birthday. So that would have been January of 2021, um, had like half a glass, woke up the next day feeling awful. Mm. So yeah, there are many reasons why I don't, um, and not to say that I don't enjoy it because like in the moment, yeah, it's fun to kind of like let loose and feel good, but it's just not worth it to me. Mm -hmm. So interesting. So I think we're all in a similar spot now with alcohol, but my history with alcohol is very different in that I grew up, um, my family of origin, we did not drink because um, of religious reasons. In our religion, we do not drink alcohol. And so I grew up, literally, I have never tasted alcohol, did not drink it, did not miss it. Um, I just didn't have a circle of friends who drank. Um, and my husband also, I married somebody of the same faith, so he doesn't, doesn't drink. But interestingly, both of us have long histories of alcoholism in our extended families. And so have seen somewhat up close, um, him more so on his side, more so than mine, but I've also seen it in my extended family, um, alcoholism and the terrible effects that that can bring. Um, and so I'm actually grateful that it was never a part of my life because I don't know, um, you know, with the family history that I have, like what, 
what would that have been in my life? Would that have also been me being an alcoholic? Possibly. Um, it's something our, we've talked to our kids about. We're like, look, this is strong on both sides of your family. Whether you um, don't drink because of our family's religious preferences or not, keep this in mind, right? Like mm-hmm. this is this is part of um, your genetics. Um, but yeah, I don't, I could never miss alcohol because it was never a part of my life. Um, And I will say it's interesting socially. I will say our society is very interested in alcohol and I have struggled in many social relationships when they find out I don't drink. I'm not often invited to things, which I find so interesting. I didn't know that. I did not know that. Absolutely. I know. I'm fascinated. Yep. So my neighborhood, the circle I live in, we moved here. Um, my daughter was in first grade. Okay. My daughter is a sophomore in high school. Now we do not have close friends in this neighborhood. They're very into drinking on our street. Like that is how they socialize. And when they realized very early on that we just didn't partake, look, I, like I said, my husband's family, we go like, there's a lot, I, I don't have a problem being around people who are drinking. It's zero bother to me, but they had a problem with me being there, not drinking. Mm -hmm. And so we were excluded. And it was really hard when my children were younger because we were excluded from family things that Mm -hmm. meant that their friends in the neighborhood were getting together and we were not invited. Kim, my, I'm like about to cry right now. That breaks my heart. It's you are crazy. You are a good time, Kim Schlag. I am a good time. And so I've had to foster relationships outside of the neighborhood. Like it's really been interesting and it's fine. Like I have a a good circle of friends. Um, Interesting, like I would never stay where I used to live because the house is too small, but when my kids were younger, those are like our friends here in our town. Like, which by the way, they all drink too. They just don't seem offended, but I think it's not as much of their social, like you can drink or not with them. But so that's kind of who we would hang out with here. Um, But yeah, it's been, it was a real struggle for us. Um, until I finally accepted, I'm like, oh, these people are just not interested. Like, I'm not going to keep trying, you know, because that gets hurtful when you keep trying and you keep putting mm-hmm. yourself out there. And I would invite them to things and it just, it, it would never work out. It would mm-hmm. never work out. And, and to be, let, let's be honest, like, do you really want friends like that in your life anyways? Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, it's not. And I'm at that point now, like it doesn't bother me. It does not mm-hmm. bother me at all, but it bothered me a lot when my kids were younger and I know that they'd be left out. Oh, um, so sad. I finally, when I actually, when I started personal training, I, some of these ladies became my clients. And so I would see them multiple times a week in my home gym. So we got to be pretty friendly. So I got, we got two invitations to things and I was like, oh, great. This is going to be the breakthrough we need. And we went and we had a great time and I never got invited back. So even though they, they, they wow. were personal training. And then, yeah, and then they would, and they were all these women, like some of them, I can see their houses from here. Like, uh, and so we got invited. There was a yearly neighborhood camp out, not, not for the whole neighborhood for our circle. And I couldn't believe it. We got invited and I was like, oh, we're going, we're staying. We're going to have a great, and like we did, like my kids had a good time. Like I had a good time. Like we was great. We had a wonderful time. Never got invited back again. They do it every year. Wow. Isn't that uh, bizarre? That, that's just, that, that is, it really is bizarre and just so immature. Yeah. yeah. And so, I was like, uh, hmm. anyway, oh, man. that was a really long, I did not expect the conversation together. Anyway, my point is whether a person drinks or not, it can have 
you know, a lot of influence in their life, what role that is for them, what role that is for them socially. Let's talk a little bit about two things here. Let's first talk about what role can alcohol have in the diet of someone who's interested in a healthy lifestyle. Let's go there first. And I mean health in all the different ways. And then after that, we can talk specific to weight loss. Like what role can alcohol have in the diet of someone interested in weight loss? So let's talk about as far as a healthy lifestyle. Marcy, what do you have to say there? Well, I think that my thoughts on this have changed fairly recently just because there's new studies, new data coming out that what was once thought as, you know, having some health benefits really has none. Like alcohol is a toxin. It is a stage one, class one carcinogen, however they describe it. So really it's being shown that there are absolutely no health benefits to it whatsoever. So just, you know, consider that and I mean, choose accordingly. Um, that is one of the reasons why I continue to avoid it just because my health means so much more to me than, you know, having a good time and relaxing and unwinding, excuse me, unwinding all of that. The other thing for me that I didn't touch on earlier, and you know, you did Kim with the, excuse me, the genetic propensity for alcoholism. Um, I do not have that in my family. I do feel like I have an addictive personality. So just to, you know, say something really quickly. And I think I've touched on this on the podcast in the past couple of weeks. Um, I did some pretty extensive food sensitivity testing and had to cut out coffee, caffeine, cocoa, like all of these things that I would use very regularly. And kind of now that I'm having to eliminate it, I really have no cravings for it whatsoever. But as soon as I like get that hit of something, like I want more and more and more, which is really like a dopamine response. Um, so I think that's really interesting. And it's just like, you know, could that have become somewhat addictive for me? Like if I did get hooked on it. Um, but the other thing is what does run in my family is Alzheimer's and that scares the living shit out of me. Mm -hmm. So, um, it's definitely not good for your brain health. So that is one of the reasons why I also avoid it, but yeah, just have the awareness that it really is not doing you any favors um, from an overall health standpoint. The other thing is, you know, I'm someone who tends towards anxiety. So I was listening to a podcast yesterday by this woman who is a, a psychotherapist, I think, and she just wrote a book about anxiety and they were talking about alcohol because that as well as caffeine can contribute to anxiety. And I never, like, I knew that I know that people experience it, but I didn't really know the science behind it. So, um, I found this really fascinating. Basically what happens is when you drink alcohol washes your brain with a neurotransmitter called GABA. So we, we've heard about dopamine serotonin, all of that, but like GABA doesn't really get as much attention. So that is an inhibitory and calming neurotransmitter, which is why when you drink, you feel relaxed, like, you know, all of your worries melt away and you can just like be, you know, chill and present, but what happens and, you know, your body just wants to keep you safe. And it doesn't know the difference between you being stressed out from, you know, your boss being upset with you and you being chased by a saber tooth tiger, you know, back in the prehistoric age. So it sees that sense of relaxation as a threat. Cause like what happens if that saber tooth tiger comes to get her? Well, she needs to be alert, right? So what it will do is it sees that threat and then it takes the GABA and converts it to something called glutamate. And the glutamate is what will kind of like wake you up, make you 
anxious and on edge and really is just a survival mechanism. So it's like, thank your body for, you know, for one, but just realize that. Um, and then, you know, you can be, so yeah, anxious, irritable, um, and, and then it will disrupt sleep. So mm -hmm. that that's the other thing too, is people think, well, I'm going to drink so I can go to bed. And mm -hmm. what they don't realize is, you know, maybe you wake up during the night because of that, what I was just talking about, but also, uh, alcohol is just a sedative. So you are not getting that full, like REM sleep, the deep sleep, which is what is very like healing for your brain and your body. So even if you feel like you're sleeping well, like you really are not. So good stuff. Are there. Yeah. Katie, what do you have to add there? All of that, Marcy, was amazing. I did not know any of that about the GABA and what it did to your brain. So that's fascinating. Um, I think it's, you know, from a, a more like, well, no, that is objective, but from a sort of a science standpoint, just to kind of introduce the, the macronutrient profile of what alcohol is so people know, like it, your body does metabolize it the way it'll metabolize any other macronutrient. Um, so there's seven calories per gram. So related to like fat would have nine, carbs and protein would have four. Um, so your body will metabolize it. However, it's important to keep in mind that your body, because of all the things Marcy really just said, will prioritize, um, processing the alcohol because it is a toxin. It's void of all nutrients. And so the first thing your body wants to do is get it out of your system. And what that means is it's going to suppress a lot of other things, right? It's going to suppress things like fat burning, like, um, protein synthesis. It's going to, you know, decrease your recovery from training, deplete your vitamin storages, um, possibly suppress thyroid function. And Marcy, as you said, that can lead to, um, some other autoimmune issues. So it's super important to remember that yes, your body processes it. Yes. You can calculate the calories and, and work it in at a deficit. Um, but the effects that it's going to have will downregulate all of the other things that many of us are trying to keep on the forefront with a healthy lifestyle. And so, because I don't like to say the restriction of, of, of anything hundred percent is healthy because I think everybody is just a little bit different, you know, I'm not someone to say, okay, no blanket blanket statement. Alcohol is bad and we shouldn't have it. I do believe that there are times when maybe you want to raise a glass and, and, and toast somebody, um, or, you know, it's a very special night out or a very special bottle of wine that you've been waiting to have for a long time. But I think those experiences are the exception for most people because it is so weaved into culture and it has become this social lubricant, um, in public and this numbing agent in private. And on top of all that, it is socially acceptable to do both of those things with this drug, not only socially acceptable, but Kim, to your point, encouraged. And actually, um, you know, if you don't drink, you're sort of looked at, you know, from the perspective of a side eye, like that person's no fun. That person doesn't know, you know, what they're missing. That, that person doesn't know how to relax, whatever it is. Um, so I find it to be a slippery slope in general, because like I said, I don't want to make blanket statements, but I think there is a very tiny subset of the population who is able to keep alcohol in at a low enough quantity to keep it um, healthy and contributing to their goals. Mm. I think that's a really good way to put it. One thing that I just want to circle back to what you said about the the social lubricant, which is so true. And let's be honest. I mean, when I drink, I'm a good time. I'm a, I'm <laughs> right. like a, a shy, like more reserved person um, when I'm not drinking. And when I am, yeah, like I can kind of like let loose a little bit, 
But, you know, is that really the, is that like really your true authentic self, the Mm -hmm. one that is drinking? Mm -hmm. And so when people are seeing that side of you, like, you know, are they really getting the real you? So I think that is something to consider, not to say that you're like lying necessarily, but yes, it is a little bit disingenuous and how you showing up. Yeah. How are you showing up? So, um, yeah. And then other things to consider is like, what do you do when you drink? Like, you know, do you make bad decisions? Do you say things that maybe you shouldn't be saying and, and how, like, what are the ramifications that that might have on you? And then the other thing, Katie, what you were talking about, which is so true is like the social aspect. Um, so we know that like the blue zones, like those are the people who live the longest and they do include alcohol. You know, I think it's mostly like red wine, that kind of thing. Um, so even though we know that alcohol is a toxin, it's a carcinogen, it's really not doing you any favors. I think that when we're looking at like a deep health perspective, you know, so your, your movement, your nutrition, um, you know, your sleep, all of that, you know, connection community is so important that Mm -hmm. I think is really the reason why these people live such a long time is because they have such a deep sense of community. They are connected to people. So like when, and you know, they are doing that, like you said, around a dinner table when it is, you know, full of like of love and that kind of thing. So, you know, does that maybe kind of dampen the consequences just a little bit, but I, I think that's something to ponder. Um, but how often are we doing it from that perspective rather than, yeah, you know, numbing in silence. Also really great points. Um, you guys have hit all, all of the things that I would have covered. The only thing I would add is that people should be highly conscious of these things. I think so often we just move through life, not questioning all kinds of things. And if historically alcohol has played a somewhat large role and maybe we haven't considered even as a person who's trying to move to a healthier lifestyle, maybe you haven't um, considered this aspect of what a healthy lifestyle is. Maybe you're working on, um, you know, getting to an optimal body weight and moving your body more and all of these things, but haven't um, shined a light on your use of alcohol and how it affects your health in all the ways that we just talked about here, whether it's your mental health, your emotional health, how you're doing socially, um, and of course, physically. So I think awareness of what impact it is currently having and the role it's having in your life is a good place to start. Yes. Um, I, I mentor a girl and we talk every Sunday And she has some, you know, it's kind of like my mentorship is kind of rooted in in the 12 steps. I think I've shared that openly on this podcast that I have gone through that myself again, not for alcohol, alcoholism, drug use, anything, just more like what I would call the emotional mental insobriety. So I have been doing this support group for about two years and she is kind of like my sponsee, so to speak. And I've seen her just grow and evolve so much in the time that we've worked together, but we were talking on Sunday and she's like, you know, I, I decided after our last you know group meeting that I really did want to experiment with being like sober curious, so to speak. So not that I'm never going to drink again, but just realizing. So that awareness point that you were speaking to Kim, that if I'm being honest, I do not feel good after I drink and it's really affecting other areas of my life. So it is preventing me from becoming the person that I want to be, um, from feeling the way that I want to feel. And, and because she's, you know, she's 27, right? So she lives in downtown Atlanta. She lives above the St. Regis bar. And that's just kind of 
what they do. You know, it's the, the time of life that she, or the period of life that she is in where that is how they socialize. And it's easy to get caught up in that, you know? So she said that this is the first week where I have not drank at all. And I just, I feel like a different person. So all of those things like that were, that I want to do that, that the person like I want to embody. So someone who is taking good care of themselves, who's eating well, who's exercising, who's getting up on time, who's productive on a weekend. Like I was not becoming, I was not being that person when I drank. And, and this week, now that I haven't, like, I feel like a new person, you know, and I was like, it's pretty, it's eye opening. So it's why like, just experiment with it. You know, if you can't remember the last time that you did not go without drinking for, you know, a night, a week, whatever it is, maybe you just play around with it, see how you feel. And, and that could be a very eye opening experiment. Ooh, I like that a lot. Just setting an experiment for yourself. Like you said, whether it's a night, a week, a month. Um, to see like, what is my life? How do I feel? How do I perform all the different ways um, without it? Well, and that's over curious. I like that term because people like, I think we don't understand how good we are meant to feel. Mm. And we've just been doing these things like, you know, repeatedly for a very long time and it just becomes our new normal. Like, Oh yeah. Being a little bit tired, being a little bit anxious, you know, and maybe we blame it on something else when really there is a, a lower hanging fruit that we could pick to, yes. to see if it has an impact. Ooh, that's good. That's good. So let's turn the discussion now to talk specifically uh, in terms of weight loss. So I know a lot of people who listen to us are interested in that as a goal. So let's talk about what role can alcohol have in the diet of someone who is interested in weight loss. Katie, let's start with you this time. So if you're somebody who has made the decision that they really do want to keep a cocktail or an alcoholic beverage in their routine, then great. You've made that choice. You can absolutely proceed with this. Um, I think what it comes down to much like anything else, when you're in a fat loss phase is, um, moderation and nobody likes to hear that word, but instead of, you know, four drinks, you're probably only going to be able to have one or two for a whole lot of reasons. Okay. First of all, we know that four drinks are going to probably make you feel like crap, but in addition to that, it's going to take up more calories. And it's also going to take away from other places where you should be getting things like protein and micro and uh, micronutrients. So Mm -hmm. it's really important to kind of ration those bonus calories um, into a space where, you know, they're not going to take away from what you need first and foremost. Um, and then also not leave you starving. If you, if you allocate too many calories for your alcohol, it's going to go right through you and it's not going to serve you at all. And you will be hungry, but you can do couple, I, a couple drinks. I like, like a clear cut, like a clear liquor, like, um, tequila, for instance, uh, maybe a mixer, like a, a Zevia, like a Stevia sweetened, um, Zevia soda is a great cocktail. It's refreshing. It's carbonated. Um, it's awesome, you know, on, on a deck, if you're gonna, you know, if you're having a beach view and you're with friends and you just, you're somebody who really kind of just wants the experience that is an option. You can also do a mocktail, super easy to just get some, um, club soda and a, and, and a lime. And it looks just like a cocktail. In fact, this is my go-to trick when I do go out and I don't want people saying, why are you drinking water? Um, just cause I don't feel like having that conversation all the time. And it really can feel the same as an alcoholic beverage. If you, if you're not somebody who's really sort of addicted to the, um, 
drunkness of what alcohol does to you. It's a nice way to sort of feel celebratory, feel a little bit different and not take away from everything else you need in your diet to continue to feel good while you're in a fat loss phase, which is frankly hard anyway. Yeah. Fantastic. Fantastic advice there. Mars, what do you have to add? Yeah. I mean, I think just, I mean, beautiful advice. Yes, Katie. But I would say again, going back to like considering the downstream effects that drinking is going to have. So not only from a physical hunger and satiety perspective, because yeah, carbs and protein have four calories per gram. Fat has nine, uh, alcohol has seven. So that's twice more yet. Yeah, well, almost twice the amount of calories as protein and carbs, which are the most filling, which are the most satiating, uh, and then, you know, very close to fat. So, and it, it's easy to, to drink more than you need because you, those inhibitions get lowered. And so it's like, Oh, one more ain't going to hurt me, you know? <laughs> um, but you really have to ask yourself, like, is that true? Or am I lying to myself about this? And so, yes, like when it comes to drinking, I mean, I have clients who drink and they still get results. It's not a big deal, but I really encourage them to, you know, try to stick to only like maybe one day per week max. And then also, and I got this from Jordan Syatt, you know, create that bright line rule for themselves. So when I go out, I'm only going to have two drinks max and then I am done. And if they are someone who tracks, then you got to make sure that that alcohol is accounted for. And there is a way to do that. Um, I'm not going to say like how you track alcohol uh, or accurately, but I think that is something to consider just so you make sure that your overall calories are in check, but then just realize like, yeah, the downstream effect that it's going to have on you. I mean, both in the moment and then after the fact. So as I already said, it lowers inhibitions. So does that mean that you are going to overeat? It is going to affect hunger and satiety signals. So, or, you know, hormones. So are you going to have increased cravings? Are you going to be hungrier? Yes, probably. Um, so not only are you now consuming the calories from the alcohol, but added calories from food as well. And let's be honest, we are not, you know, eating broccoli while we're sipping a glass of wine. You know, it's, it's the, the hyper palatable, the pizza, the chips, you know, whatever it might be. Um, so that's one thing. And then, you know, the next day, how does it affect you? So if you did not sleep well, if you're waking up, you know, slightly hung over, just not feeling your best, is that going to prevent you from wanting to move your body from having the hard workout that you had scheduled? Um, and then making the nutrient dense, like healthy choices with your nutrition, because, I'm sure, I mean, I don't remember the last time this happened to me, but you wake up, you know, not feeling your best. And what do you want to do? You want to like soak up that alcohol, so to speak with, uh, you know, like brunch or whatever the case might be. Um, so yeah, I think there's just a lot to, to mm -hmm. consider there. So I'll add, um, and really just kind of expand on what both of you were saying there, the devil really is in the dose when we're talking about fat loss and alcohol, just like with anything else that we're talking about as far as fat loss. Um, it has the added um, kind of side effect of then really can impact how much you eat, which can bring along other calories. Um, Marcy's suggestion about bright lines, I think is a fantastic one. And you can craft those bright lines to be whatever would be most useful for you. I've had clients whose bright lines, I had one and her bright line was, I do not keep alcohol in my home and I do not drink in my home because she would realize this was all during quarantine. And she was like, I will just be drinking too much. I will be drinking to fill time. She's like, I'm just, it's too hard for me. So that was her bright line. 
I've had other clients who did like you said, Marcy, and have a bright line around how many drinks will they have a given occasion. I've had other clients whose bright lines were um, before any alcoholic beverage and between them, I will always have one large glass of something that is non-alcoholic because that can really space out the amount of calories you're going to get from alcohol if you do that. Um, the other thing that has worked um, when, I, when I've been working with clients around how alcohol is impacting their weight loss, specifically when we realized like, hey, this is really something that's holding you back. Um, one of my clients messaged me one time and this was what her group of friends liked to do socially. She had a large group. They were all in like their late twenties and this is what they did. They would, you know, spend a whole Saturday. They'd be tailgating, they'd be day drinking. She would leave all these messages for me about like what the weekend was going to include and how can she stay in her calories. And one time I messaged her back and I said, look, I want you to leave that entire message to me again. But every time you said the word alcohol, I want you to substitute the word cake. And she messaged me back and she was like, that sounds insane. I would never message you and be like, I'm having four pieces of cake in the morning and I'm having a couple of pieces of cake at, with dinner. And then I'm going to have a couple more pieces of cake at night. How can I stay in my calories? She was like, I would immediately know that's not possible. Mm -hmm. And she's like, she's like, it's clicked. She's like, I just realized now most alcohol is not going to have quite as many calories as cake, but still like the point stuck to her. She's like, I'm asking the impossible. I'm not going to stay in my calories if I do that. Um, and so really thinking about alcohol, like these other treat foods, like it's not, it is a separate category, but in that case, it is very much like saying like, how many cookies can I shove into this day and still hit my calorie target? Like it's, it's not an ideal setup. Um, and then the last thing I would say around that, um, with this same client, we really worked about this idea that this was her friend group setup. This is what they did. And so we talked like, what do you do in that situation? And for her, I said, how comfortable do you feel being the person who initiates activities saying, Hey, like, let's have this not be one centered on alcohol. How about we go for a hike that doesn't involve us then ending up at the bar? I said, because, you know, if you can foster a community around you who supports you drinking less, that's going to help you, you know, setting your environment up for success is really key. I had another client and she had a similar friend group and she moved cross country. And we talked about how this was going to be an ideal time for her to set herself up with a group of friends who had similar values because now her values really did. She loved going to the gym and she loved being active and she didn't want to just like go out to wineries on Saturdays. Like she's like, this isn't what I want, how I want to be spending my time because it's not supporting these goals I have for myself. So, you, you know, looking for those people and it doesn't mean you have to cut friends out of your life, but it might be mean bringing some other people in. It might mean being bold and suggesting like, Hey, here's a goal I have. How do you guys feel about like going kayaking instead of tailgating or whatever it is? So mm -hmm. some things to consider there socially. I love what you said about substituting the word alcohol with cake. Cause my mind has really gone there during this conversation. I think a lot of times people who use alcohol as a numbing agent are also the same people who use food as a numbing agent. And hi, my name is Katie. And I'll, I'll step to the podium first <laughs> and say, I've been there. I've done that. And one of the ways I've separated myself from that habit, um, I really have leaned on food when it comes to kind of like quieting the mind and substituting it for rest and using it in ways where I, at times when I should be doing something else for myself instead. Um, and I've had to approach that with, I've, I've sort of had to step aside from the judgment and be like, you know, bad Katie and sort of looking at it 
from a point of curiosity. Why am I doing this? What is this decision in this particular thing for me? Again, food, maybe for someone else here, it's alcohol. What is this doing to serve for me? Because we don't do things that don't serve us in some way. As human beings, if we are making a decision time and time again, even if it seems like it has no positive consequences, it is protecting you in some way. You feel mm -hmm. safe in some way. That So get real curious, have some self-compassion. So approach it without judgment and say, why do I keep doing this? What is it about this particular selection that is making me feel safe or making me feel like it is the next right thing for me? And start to sort of like peel back the layers there. Love yeah. that. Love and, that. And the other thing that I would get, um, I would consider people asking themselves is, because I said, maybe you get sober curious for a week or two or a month. If the thought of that just brings up something in you, like a, a little bit of fear, that's mm -hmm. something to look at. Mm -hmm. I mean, for me, when I, when I found out, yeah, coffee, cocoa powder, you know, all the things that, that you, like you were saying, Katie, like, you know, probably were a little bit of a numbing agent if I am being honest. Cause like, I don't really do that with food anymore. Um, so it's more just like, oh, I don't want to have to do this task. Like, yeah, let me make a protein, hot chocolate just to like, make it easier on myself, which I mean, I think that's fairly benign. Right. But when I realized like that was going to be taken from me, there was a little bit of this, like, oh my gosh, like, how am I going to feel when like, am I going to have these like really intense urges? Fortunately, that has not been the case If anything. I feel more like peaceful. And I, those cravings have kind of gone away, which is amazing. Yeah. So maybe like give, give yourself that gift of just experimentation and who knows, you might feel so much better that the entire world opens up to you now. And you're like, Oh, I don't even miss it. But again, like I was saying earlier, if, if it does instill this kind of like, you know, sense of, of fear or anxiety, then I think you've got to be really honest that maybe it is not serving you or it is something that needs to be looked at. Thank you, Marcy. Marcy, Katie, incredible conversation today. Thank you for um, listening. Those of you who are listening, I know this can be a tricky subject for some people. Um, if you heard this and felt like uh, a little bit uncomfortable, it's probably another good sign that it's something for you to spend some time considering. Um, we would love it if you want to reach out to us. You can um, hit us up in DMs on social media. You can email us and we can talk further about this. If you have anything you want to add, we would love to hear your comments on this subject. Um, I think it's one that people um, need to consider a bit more. Mm -hmm. Thank All you right. Jim, for leading this conversation, an important one. Yes, absolutely. Thanks everyone. We'll catch you next time. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Decades of Strength podcast. If you liked this, if it was helpful for you, it would mean the world to us if you left a rating and review wherever you're listening. It really does help our work get in front of more people. Thanks so much for being here with you and we'll see you again next week.